welcome to Families for Life, a podcast at Oakville Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're continuing our marriage series, part four, finances. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Pastor Allen. Hey, Brian. Welcome. Glad to be here. How are you doing today? Awesome. I'm pumped to be here. I've really enjoyed this series of podcasts, and I hope it's helping people. Yeah, we've had some good feedback already from the first uh, three episodes, so we're continuing on. Well, I want to remind everybody to subscribe, give us a review, uh, share with your friends, email us your feedback, look in the show notes for our email address. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're at in the world. Tell us how you like the podcast. Tell us you've got questions, whatever, hit us up in the email. So before we get started, I want to ask you a question. Where did you go on your honeymoon? We went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we got a cabin up in the mountains, and we just did uh, mountain things. We hiked and saw the sights and um, enjoyed ourselves. Okay. So, yeah, so just, no crazy experiences or nothing? No, just honeymoon things. Honeymoon experiences. things. All right. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I rented a car, if I remember correctly, to get there because my car was not in very good shape at the nice. time. And um, something interesting, I guess. I, don't, I remember the name of the cabin we stayed in. It was called the Fox Den. Ooh. So there you go. That's something for there a honeymoon, go. staying right. in the Fox Den. And so... Uh, You've been back to that particular <laughs> cabin? Yeah, that's a good... No, I, I have not been back to the Fox Den, but we go back there actually fairly often. And I've always I've wondered where exactly that location of that cabin is, and I've mm-hmm. I've not ever went back to it, but um, it's there somewhere. Go I check bet. that out. Maybe a future anniversary, you yeah, can yeah. go back to the I Fox to Den. See if I can find the Fox Den. We'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to do that. Well, we went to Disney World, which is ironic because I've shared how much I dislike theme parks. But at the time, we were looking for something fairly inexpensive, and back in the back in this time, Disney World was fairly inexpensive, and uh, as honeymoons go, anyways. And we flew down to Orlando. It was uh, we got married on August eighteenth, two thousand and one. So it was kind of striking to see the difference. We flew down before everything happened on September eleventh, and we just went got on the plane. It was easy breezy, and then when I flew again after all that, it was heightened security and everything was totally crazy. different. Yeah, it's totally crazy to see that. Uh, but it was just a couple weeks before September eleventh. So yeah, yeah. There's no more looking in the cockpit and talking to the captain and all that stuff when you nope. board. You he just, won't let me fly the plane or anything. Nope. No, that's a good, that's a good thing. Well, today we're continuing our series. We're going to talk about finances. This is a really um, interesting topic. It's, it's, it's a delicate subject, I think, in a lot of marriages. Why do you think that is? Well, a lot of it is, I think, because this is one of those topics where people have very strong opinions, I think, for a few different reasons. Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, sometimes when two saved sinners get married in the Christian context and they are in a Christian marriage now, they bring their uh, backgrounds to the marriage. And so um, they may be raised in different backgrounds as it relates to finances. They may have different temperaments, how they're wired toward thinking about finances, and then just their general uh, financial philosophy. And so you're kind of trying to meld all those things together. And sometimes that's easy. Uh, but sometimes it's very difficult, um, and uh, I think some percentages and, and some uh, some studies kind of bear that out. Yeah, yeah. I found this study, a 2015 study performed by SunTrust Bank. 35% of married couples that were experiencing marital stress attributed money 
as the reason for their stress. And uh, we also, in the same study, 20% of respondents said they had $500, had spent $500 or more without their spouse knowing. 36% said they did not they did not consult their spouse about large purchases and 6% reported to having accounts that were hidden from their spouse. Yeah. Those are some, those are some definite red flags. If you're, uh, if you are uh, engaging in any of that kind of, uh, oh, you had found behavior. something else. You'd found a statistic out of this other article that you, that you read there that said that. Yeah. Uh, it said, it said that money was the number one issue married couples fight about. Um, that money, that money is the number one issue, and then as we relate to another podcast at some point, it says and the and the second leading cause of divorce uh, behind fidel- infidelity. Wow! So uh, it is. Uh, so it like, is, there's infidelity. That's one of the leading causes for divorce, and right. the second most leading cause is financial. Is financial. Wow! And, and that bears out, especially in my lived experience with uh, trying to counsel couples and things. This is a real issue that that really needs to be considered and addressed. And yeah. people um, ask the Lord to really um, give them wisdom and to humble them so they could see the the benefit of being on the same page so their marriage can benefit from mm-hmm. that. Yeah, wow, that's good, yeah. Well, I look at this and I'm wondering, because there's so many issues and there's so many things that play into this, can finances be turned into a positive in a marriage? Yeah, I absolutely think so. And and if we go back to a podcast or so that we talked about, we talked about Genesis 2.24, uh, where it just says that, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We, we spoke about that phrase, one flesh, and really how we need to understand that as being emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, you know, financially, we are on the same page. We're we're com- we're binding ourselves together, and I think if a if a couple does that, uh, and if they will really come together in their finances, that it can be a positive thing in marriage. It can be something that it gives you a, something in your marriage to uh, join for forces to work for yeah. or toward. And mm, it, that's it, good. It doesn't have to be something you fight over. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think if we if, if couples have a biblical perspective on money and just just possessions in general, you know the reality. What we're going to talk about in just a moment is that God owns everything, and that we are stewards of of the resources He gives us. Is this radical thinking? I mean, do you hear this from Christians today? Do you hear this from people? Well, I I think it's radical to the world. Uh, our culture would not so much buy into this that we are stewards of something that's God's because the world thinks, Hey, this is mine. I've earned it. I've built it. I've, I've whatever. Uh, it's, it's part of my achievement. And, but if we are not careful, if Christians aren't careful, we can start to buy that way of thinking as well. Thinking right. that the, the things we have are ours. We've earned them more so than God has provided them for yeah. us. And that's yeah. something we really have to fight against. I think. I, I agree with that. Yeah, that, that would be a, a, a good assessment. So we asked the question, who does this money belong to anyway? There's a couple of verses here. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And then there's another verse in First Chronicles. I'll just read the first part. It's First Chronicles 29. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory for all that is heaven and the earth is yours. It goes on. There's there's more in there about that, but uh, it's teaching us that 
God owns everything. God created everything. God owns everything. It is all in his power, in his control. Uh, now, I mean, he, he will talk about what, how we interact with that, but there's this truth that we have to come to grips with. If God owns everything, how does this affect the way that we view possessions and financial resources? How does that, how's that going to change our view? Well, it helps, I think, number one, check our pride. Mm. Uh, And it helps us to understand that God's in control. He's providing these things for us out of his goodness and his kindness to us. And it should give us a different way of thinking of how we approach the things that he's given us to steward. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had to borrow somebody's car, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I try to take care of my cars that I would normally drive. But if, if someone provides for me their car to, to use, then I'm going to take extra care of their mm-hmm. possession because I want to be a good steward of it. And I want to return it to them in right condition and have in, in the right way. And so, you know, God is providing all of this. I want to steward this. I'm going to take care of what he's given me in the right way right. with the right heart. Well, this plays into God's sovereignty in our lives. And do we really accept that God is sovereign over everything? He's in control. He's the king. He's the ruler. You know, we talk about lordship. And are we submitting to the lordship of Christ? And if we do, then we will recognize God owns everything. Right. And so that for a Christian, that's just part of us dying to the flesh daily. Right. And and it's us understanding every day that we live that the things we have come from God's hands and not our own. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of kind of having a reality check every day of our life. Mm, that's good. And, and if we'll do that, it will go well for us and it'll be good for us. But mm-hmm. when we start to think that this is ours, I deserve this, uh, we start looking for ways to use all that we have on ourselves, that's really dangerous ground to get on because when, when we start acting like that or we our, 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 our hands get really tight around the things that we are stewarding, those are all markers of a heart that is not understanding that we're a steward. Right, right. Well, let's talk about that concept. If God is the owner, what does that make me? So we mentioned the phrase steward. What is that? If for somebody that's unfamiliar of with a steward, how would we define that? Well, we're we, it would be us managing the things that God has given to us. We are a steward. We're we're stewarding well the resources that He's given. Yeah, us. Yeah, it's like well, if if you have a restaurant, there's an owner of the restaurant and then a manager. So that manager is in is responsible for everything that goes on at that at that restaurant. He's working for the owner to manage that restaurant and take care of it. It's the same concept. So a steward, we can even call it a manager if you want. Yeah. Well, if you, if you wanted to look at Luke chapter 16, mm-hmm. uh, the, that in verse 10 there it says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been... Uh, if then you have not been faithful in in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And you cannot serve God and money. So this speaks to our attitude or heart in this reality of being a steward as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if we look at this first, there's some marks of of a steward, and I think it's there's a there's a faithfulness, there's a, an honesty and integrity that has to come with this. There's also your 
you're making sure that you're not double-minded or or double heart where you're trying to serve two people at once. You it just won't work. You can't have Christ as your Lord and you can't be trying to serve money or stuff or possessions. Yeah, you can't you can't serve the Lord uh, and misuse his things that right. he's given you. It 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 won't work. Uh, so you've got to understand that the Lord comes first and has first rank and those things in which he's given you, you are managing for his glory through your life, mm-hmm. but it's got to be in the right order and the right heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why is it impossible to serve God, but serve both God and money? Why is it impossible mm-hmm. to serve? Well, I mean, you can only have one master and, uh, the Lord's got to be that master. And if it's anything else that is uh, taking the allegiances of your heart, then there's the fundamental issue, right? right. I mean, you've, God's got to have first place in our lives and nothing else, including uh, finances or, or any other things. Yeah, I think that goes to any other kind of thing that can be an idol in your life. You can't have anything on the throne of your heart other than the Lord. So as we look at the finances in, in marriage, what does it look like if we live as stewards instead of owners? Well, I think it can look, uh, <laughs> if you both look at it as your stewards, there can be harmony and there can be agreement and there can be um, um, fulfillment when we look at it that way. But if this goes back to the one flesh idea or the philosophies of ministry, if, if a wife or a husband understands themselves to be a steward, but the other part of that marriage does not, there's going to be ongoing conflict. And so this is something as a Christian couple you've got to deal with up front. Uh, hopefully that you're dealing with those kind of issues even before you're married in right. premarital counseling. But if not, if you all have a different philosophical understanding of how you relate to the things that you have, it's going to affect if you understand yourself to so be stewards or not. Mm-hmm. And so you got to get that nailed down up front. And if it's not up front, you got to get it nailed down now because it will cause you problems if one is seeing, hey, we need to manage well what we have in the other, saying, no, these resources are just for us to use for us. Right. It's It'll make a big difference. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how this plays out practically. We'll get into some really practical things because we, we've kind of laid out the main theological framework. God is the owner. We are the stewards. How does this play out in your marriage? And I've kind of... Uh, <clears throat> organize this with three warnings. And I think these kind of um, encapsulate a lot of the major issues that that come up in finances. So the first one's a warning about financial security. Now, I don't know, there's not one person that doesn't want financial security. In fact, that's the, the driving force for many people. We want to be financially stable. We want to be financially secure. We want to be able to provide for our family. We want to be able to have retirement. You know, all of these things kind of drive us in, in the workforce, in what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But what does the, is there a proper view of financial security for the Christian? Yeah, I think so, because I think Scripture speaks into it. I mean, there's a few Scriptures that we've pegged here mm-hmm. to help us understand. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that that's going to uh, help us understand that financial security is a good goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not bad. It's good to be a good steward. It's good to be a saver and all that, but you can't let that go from, you can't redefine financial security 
that that means that it's a life that you're consumed with money. Right. Because that's that is not financial security. That is that could slip very easily into a love of money. Yeah. And in a in a discontentment in your heart. Well, that's what first Timothy six ten, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Yeah. And uh, you, you want to go to the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Mm. And so this is something that is a real temptation. I've known people who uh, maybe they, they understood they were a steward. Uh, they, they managed their things really well. Uh, they were able to amass financial security, but it went beyond that, mm-hmm. and it became it became a love of money and a love of acquiring money, which is way beyond just financial security. That's right. Yeah. And so there's a balance we have to strike here. Yeah. And and we can even kind of Jesus juke uh, people if uh, with financial security, mm-hmm. like like financial security is your god, you know, and you know people say, well, I'll have. I'll have a child when I have financial security. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know that, well, you know, that, come on, that, that may be the wrong standard to be using there, mm-hmm. but financial security cannot I'll, be your Well, God. or I'll give, I'll give to the Lord when I get to this, yeah, right. this level, yeah. you right. know, yeah. things like that. That's right. Well, financial security is not bad or sinful. It's okay to have a desire to have your basic needs met. However, it becomes sinful when money captures your heart or as scripture says, becomes the the love of money. So if it becomes an idol in your life. So when it comes to financial security, there should be an element of faith. We should be constantly trusting the Lord for our financial security. This means sometimes, for, for many of us, you don't have all the answers. You don't have all that you need, and you need to rely on the Lord for your needs. Yeah, I mean, I've I we have lived that out as a couple and as a family personally. Um, I believe in the... You know, a lot of people talk about Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey does has great ministry. Uh, you know, I know all about a, an, an emergency fund. But I don't know if anybody else has realized this, that, like, about the time I got my emergency yeah. fund together, I an had an emergency. emergency happens. <laughs> and then my emergency fund was gone. And so, but it doesn't change the principle. You follow the best biblical financial principles you can, but there will be times in your life that things are out of your control and your plan, your financial plan may not be working exactly right. Well, it's in those times, this is your opportunity to show that you trust God, that you're going to walk in the wisdom that you have to walk in financial um, in financial matters. But there will be times when you just have to trust God That's right. for things to work out and use as well as you can the resources he's given you. Well, we've already seen financial security is sort of a... Um, it's a it's it's sort of a, a myth anyway because we don't know what's going to happen with our economy. We've seen people's retirement accounts get get lambasted in the economy, or right. we see the prices of this or that go up. So I mean, it's all it's all dependent upon what happens in the larger economy anyway. But there are people that may have been blessed and they might have quote financial security. And here's the here's the warning for them. They don't need to heap up their wealth as a security blanket. You need to heed the next warning. Before we move on to that, is there anything else we want to add to the warning about financial security? Yeah, I just think the main thing is uh, have it as a goal. Uh, do all that you can to follow biblical guidelines uh, in, in your stewarding of what God's given you. Uh, but also just know 
you're going to have to have times where you trust the Lord and you don't have all the answers. Right. It's just going to happen sometimes in life, financially. Ste- steps of faith. So the next one's a warning about financial frugality. Here's the thing. The attitude of a Christian should be one of faith and generosity. It's okay to be frugal, but when it comes to the needs to the, of the others and of the Lord's church, his bride, we must be generous. We must be generous. There is a, there is a, a definite... Um, you know, theme in Scripture about the generosity of believers, right? Yeah, yeah. Matthew chapter six, uh, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves uh, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. So, this idea of uh, frugality to the point of uh, not caring well for those that you're responsible for uh, or caring well for the church family that you're a part of, that's a problem. Uh, you have to ask yourself, is that is that frugality or is that selfishness? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, as we're married in relationships and with our children and our, and our, our families that we live in, I don't think the, it's not God's heart to be so frugal that those that you love are... are uh, not being cared mm-hmm. for well, right? And uh, that doesn't mean that you get everything that you want, but we definitely should cover the needs that mm-hmm. those that we care most for. And you know what? It's not bad to get a want every once in a while too. Yeah, it's you know? okay to spend uh, a little money on your spouse or your kids every now and then. I mean, you don't have you've seen that show Extreme Cheapskate. You know, we don't. That should not be the Christian idea of of trying to be as frugal as possible. Yeah. Aren't we glad that God's not a frugal God when it comes to his provision for us? That's right. He lavishes upon us grace and mercy Mm -hmm. and all these wonderful theological understandings. But then just practically, he lavishes in Mm -hmm. a sense on us, the house we live in, the, the car we drive, the money we have. I mean, Mm -hmm. he, he, he is a a generous, uh, uh, loving God. Mm -hmm. And, I think it only makes sense that those who are his followers would be marked by generosity yeah. and a desire to uh, bless others as well. Yeah. Well, I love Acts twenty thirty five. It says, In all things I have shown you by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a, there's a check for our hearts right there, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, where do you get your blessing from? I mean, if... If you get more of a blessing of receiving all the time instead of giving, that you know, you may want to think about that. Right. You know, but it should bring us joy to be able to give out of what God's given to us to be a blessing to others mm-hmm. and to not be so frugal or so tight with what we're managing for God that we we're hanging on, we're grasping onto it for ourselves. Right. One, one final verse, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This should be our attitude. We should have an attitude of generosity. How does this play out in regards to the finances in marriage? Well, I mean, I think it, it plays out with how we are trying to care for our spouses in marriage. Um, if we... Uh, have as our as our general bent in our financial relationship with our spouse of we would rather err on the f- side of generosity than frugality. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. 
because we need to let our spouse know that we uh, desire um, to bless them mm -hmm. and to provide for them. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we've, we've got to use wisdom in that because, once again, this can become a slippery slope. You mm -hmm. know, it can't be that, you know, the only way a spouse can feel love is if they're bought things for. Right. But, you know, there there's this balance of... Right of walking in what we have and using it wisely and still being generous to our spouse. So. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's kind of shift the conversation because one of the things that really in the area, in this area of generosity, frugality that hits on couples is has to do with giving specifically, I'm thinking of charitable giving, but specifically giving to the church. You know, there is a great, uh, reading on this subject that I would encourage everyone to read. If if you have the book or get the book, Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney, there's a chapter on stewardship that's really phenomenal. And uh, I just I just have to ask the question: what What does this mean for our our giving? You know what? How do couples manage this when they think about tithing or giving to the church? Right. Well, number one, I think unity. Is a big is a big priority. I mean, you've got to even Christians in general. I mean, Christians go back and forth, and they have debates amongst Christians about uh, as it relates to giving to the church. Is that is that a tithe? Is that is that more like New Testament grace giving? I mean, what's your standard for giving? And so couples are going to have to figure that out. Uh, I know that in our in our marriage, we uh, when we were younger in marriage, there was a time when we struggled with that, but then we both really came to the reality that it only makes sense that if we're going to steward manage well, what God's given us, that we wanted to have a, a concerted uh, regular way in which we gave out of what God's given to us. And for us, that led us to see giving a tithe was not, it was the starting place, but we weren't starting there because it was the law we were trying to mm -hmm. keep, but we just saw that as uh, the starting point, even because in, in grace giving in the New Testament, it's grace giving is not about how little you can give. It's about freely giving. Right. And uh, so we, we just see the 10th as a, as the good starting point, mm -hmm. but we came to a good conclusion on that together. And we've, we've just, we have experienced blessing in that, that God, I, I say this all the time, God blesses obedience. And I believe that it's not a formula that if you give God a hundred, he'll give you 200. That's not what I'm saying. But if you will walk in regular giving to the Lord, He He will bless your obedience. Mm -hmm. But you need to be together as a couple on yeah. that. Well, and I think I think Donald Whitney hits on this where he says, "Listen, giving is an act of worship. You know, we are we are giving as as to worship the Lord. It's it's something that is a, is an aspect of faith that we're giving and that we're working towards to see God." work in the larger body, in the church, in our lives, in the lives of other peoples, in the community, outreach and missions, and all the things that the church does. Um, and I think couples have to really come to a place and say, okay, am I able to give because have financial handcuffs been put on us because of our financial choices? We have you know, gotten a car that we maybe can't afford or shouldn't have gotten or a house that's too big or we're, we've extended ourselves with a lot of debt. And so we can't give to the Lord. Right. You yeah. Know? People find themselves there. And I can tell you, one of the most blessed times that you'll experience in life is if you were there, if you will work yourself out of some of that debt and reallocate it to give to the Lord, I promise you 
you will you you will never regret that. Mm-hmm. You will not. Because there's nothing worse than being so strapped down with bills that you don't feel as if you have any money to give to the Lord, especially even when you want to. And so that's a matter of priorities, and I'm not saying that's always easy, but I do remember I did preach a message one time a number of years back now, and I did make a reference that there are many people who would love to tithe, but they can't because they're driving their tithe mm-hmm. or they're living in their tithe, which I just simply meant we, we extend ourselves beyond what we should financially. And when we do that, we're we're not able to steward that money well and give a portion back to the Lord. Right. And so... I can tell you, if you find yourself there, if you can take some steps to say, maybe you don't have to drive a 2021 car. Maybe you could drive a 2015 car and trade that car down or get something you can afford and then build in your finances that ability to give. I promise you, you will feel the blessing of that and you will enjoy being able to give to the Lord. Because think of it this way, of all the money that you spend, what money are you spending that is going for an eternal reason? Mm. I mean, think about that, especially like if you have kids, you're just helping to provide ministry for your kids and the other kids in our church or our students or our senior adults or our food pantry or whatever ministry we're doing, right? Or your money that you're able to give to the church goes to help support mission work going on all around the world. What other areas in your finances are you getting an eternal reward back mm-hmm. on your money? I yeah, mean, that's good. It's just there's so many good reasons to do it. Uh, but sometimes we get ourselves jammed up and we're not in a place to, if you find yourself there, get get on the same page uh, and, and make some choices that would free monies up that you could give to the Lord mm-hmm. rightly and put him first instead of last. That's great. That's really good. Yeah. You know, uh, what do you do? I've thought about this. What do you do if a couple is divided on giving to the church? You know, I've uh, actually counseled a couple like this where one person didn't feel that they should give to the Lord, give to the church, and another person did. And so they kind of looked and worked out a system in their finances where she was able to tithe off of her income, and he did not. Now, I, they were praying and trying to work together and get to a place where they would both agree on this, but they couldn't get to in a place where they agreed on this. Right, and and that happens to a lot of people, and that's why I'm just going to say it once again. Uh, if you're already married and you're into it, you're going to have to figure it out if mm-hmm. you're not on the same page. But if you are thinking about getting married or if you're, you're you're single or you're thinking of one day of getting married, I'm telling you, this is something you need to get on the same page about at the jump from the beginning. It's much easier there than trying to get two people on the same page a little later. It's not saying you can't, but it, it may be a little harder to get right. on the same page. Mm-hmm. That's good. So I, I would encourage couples like that, though, to go back to the biblical principles of of what God's word says about giving, Mm -hmm. because I know that we all can have different ideas and understandings and attitudes. You don't need to take my opinion about giving. You don't need to take pastor Brian's opinion. You don't need to even take your spouse's opinion. So for, if we are Christians, I think this is one thing that God's word is so helpful in. We can go to God's word. It can be, it is the standard of truth that we live our life by. And then let's adjust our life to what God's word says about giving. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, then it's not some person trying to get in the middle of your marriage to tell you what to do with your money, Mm -hmm. but it's God himself speaking through his word to give direction of how you use your money. And that's good. I think that could be helpful. Well, this raises our our final warning here. It's a warning about financial division. Just like you said, there's lots of ways we can do finances. You listener can figure out what's best for your family, but we do have one warning. You should not view your finances separately. Even if you have separate accounts, I don't recommend that. You should have joint 
um, names on whatever accounts that you have, but you should view all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your things as yours as a couple, not, not my, this is mine. This is yours. You pay these bills. You pay these bills. It's all together. Why is this such an important truth? Well, once again, I'll just run us right back to Genesis 2.24. This is a one flesh issue. This is us building marriages that are united and intertwined together in such a way where they're not to come undone. And so to me, it's just not made sense. And I, I just think that it would honor God for us to be able to bring our finances together uh, because it, it it encourages this oneness in our relationship but also, uh, when you're sharing finances, it creates an attitude of trust and accountability, too. It doesn't give the devil an opportunity to bring doubt and second-guessing about your spouse or what they're doing with the money, because it's such an issue for, for couples anyway. As much clarity and as much unity as we can bring to it, it's only going to help in the long run. Right. Yeah, and then, then it, it could make your spouse feel like, oh, I have a, they have a plan B, you know, when, they, when it's time to get out and time to be done with this marriage, they've got their financial security. You know, once again, are you living out these biblical principles of faith? Are you living out these things? I agree. You you have to create an attitude of, attitude of trust. You have to create an attitude of accountability. And uh, that's going to be huge when it comes to, to finances. Well, we, we know those things happen. I mean, we, we've heard those stories of things weren't going on in the marriage, right? There were different separate accounts. There was an account that no one knew about that mm-hmm. was being built up. And when it got to a certain amount, then that person, that one thought, said, well, here's my opportunity. I've got enough money. I can get out on my own mm-hmm. now. Instead of, you know, putting that together, working on the underlying issues in the relationship, mm-hmm. because it wasn't just a money relationship. You're just using the money to be able to get out on your own now. Right. And it helps you to not deal with the fundamental issues of the marriage that needed to be dealt with. That's right. So you've got to view all money, all possessions as yours together as a couple. That's really important. So so you you wanted to share some some practical ways that we could apply some of these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I came across this article. It was uh, it's through the Dave Ramsey article. Uh, organization. It's just called Money and Marriage, Seven Tips for a Healthy Relationship. So this is not uh, unique just to me. Uh, this is a, off of an article. But I thought these were very helpful, uh, kind of practical things to think about. And some of them will reiterate what we've already talked about. But um, if you went, number one on the list is it just says keep a joint bank account. We just talked about that. And that it's one of the best ways to avoid money arguments is to keep, uh, is to, is to, is to not to avoid keeping separate accounts, mm-hmm. uh, so you can know what you have. Like his paycheck's not going in one account, hers is going into another, and then they pay bills separately. and And that seems like that would work out, but this lays the groundwork for some major problems sometimes with money and marriage. It can be miscommunication. Uh, all kind of things can happen. And once again, it just cuts against that one flesh understanding of marriage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so keep a joint bank account. Number two says discuss your lifestyle choices together. This is really important. I mean, people people don't have always the same. You know, they didn't have different upbringings. They didn't have the same level of. You know, he likes to shop at Walmart or wherever, and then she likes to shop at a department store. You know, right. and so. If you don't, if you're not on the same page about your lifestyle choices, you know, hey, I, I, I'm fine driving a beater. 
I got to drive the latest via the latest newest vehicle. Right. You got to talk about those things. Right. Yeah. It's and it's just practically working out a relationship and 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 in it understanding where the other person is coming from, and not feeling as if you are so much holy than they are because you're willing to wear Goodwill clothes and they they aren't. But it's just understanding each other and finding those ways to maybe compromise or find the the middle ground sometimes. So maybe it's you know you can maybe try to find that name brand something in an outlet kind of a situation where you can get a better price on it, where you're just trying to be wiser in what you're buying and what you're doing, but you've got to discuss that, those things and, uh, and not just run roughshod over the other person. So, uh, uh, number three, it just says, recognize your difference in personality. Mm. And this is a, this is a really big one because we all are wired differently when it comes to our understanding of, of, uh, finances and uh, it just says in, in the article, it says everyone's money mindset is different and opposites tends to attract. Chances are one of you loves working with numbers and the other would rather not be tied down by what the numbers show. And so one not, might be the saver and the other may be more inclined to spend. So you're just going to have to know kind of how you're wired. And also, let me just say, I, I don't think we said this earlier, but we're talking about having joint bank accounts, but here's something that is really important, I think, as well. When If your money is together, don't just abdicate all that responsibility to be on one person. Mm. Like, look for those operators. One's going to be maybe more of a, of a numbers person than the other, but have times when you're meeting in the month where you both know what's going on with your money and don't make that one person feel all the pressure of trying to make the budget work when, you know, you constantly want to go out to eat all the time. And because... You know, you don't know exactly what's going on with mm-hmm. the money. You feel like you always can go out to eat, but the one who's working with the budget on an ongoing basis is saying feels the pressure that well, they don't want to. They don't want to be the killjoy to say we can't go out to eat, and so they maybe they're hesitant to say something. So mm-hmm. to have the one bank account, but to but to make sure you both are informed yeah. on the condition of your money as yeah, well. Yeah, have a monthly budget meeting so the spender can understand where they're at, and then the the the. Um, you know, the bookkeeper can understand, hey, loosen up a little bit. The spender needs to tighten up a little bit. And you right. can get on the same page. Right, and and that's very helpful. And I just in my own marriage, I mean, Paula's, Paula's more of the detail person than I am. Right. But And so there'll be times where I'm just like, hey, yeah, we can do this or that. And she's like, eh, you know, let's, but we got this going on. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to talk about things so that one person doesn't carry all the weight of that. But we got to recognize our differences in personality yeah. that plays into it. Number four, don't let salary differences come between you. This can be a big thing for couples. They feel like somebody feels like they can have more of a say because they make more money or they right. do this or that. Once again, it's our money. Right. You know, there may be a household where, where one parent is, is home raising the children, homeschooling, whatever. The other one's making the money. That doesn't matter. You don't get to make the choices because you bring home the paycheck. You're a team. You're together in, in one. Right. Yeah, that's played out in our marriage because, um, you know, for a, long, for a while we were double income, no kids. We both were earning money. Then we started having kids, and we made the choice that Paula was going to we wanted Paula to be able to stay home, but she still needed to make money. So she found other ways to make money. So I was the main breadwinner. Then I went into the ministry, went to seminary. I, I became instantly poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paula was uh, ramped up the money she was making with watching children and, and giving piano lessons and all those kind of things. And so there's been times when then she made more than me, and then other times and I'm making more than her. Right. In all of those seasons, it doesn't really matter who's making more or less. We right. have to have the same mindset that you're talking about. 
is doing it together as a couple. Mm-hmm. We've got to kind of tackle this together and not feel as if you have more say than someone else because you're making more money or not. This is a this is a together endeavor, and we got to remember that. That's right. Yeah, never say to your spouse, I get to say this because I make more money or I do this. That That is an instant uh, recipe for a disaster. Yeah, in or, your or a death wish. Yeah. Don't, 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 just don't do that. Do you got number five over there? Yeah, number five, keep purchases out in the open. And so uh, that's really important. Being unfaithful to your spouse doesn't always involve an affair. Uh, sometimes it's when you're unfaithful to a shared financial goal by opening a side bank account or stashing money away. Uh, that's just that's just deceitful, and it's not right to do. And so the same applies if you have a credit card, things like that. We've got to have everything out in the open to know the financial situation of, uh, of, of what we're dealing with. Uh, and so, you know, just in our relationship – you know, we don't have a hard, fast rule, but, you know, Paula's not going to go out and just go buy something and come home and say, well, here's my new $900 or whatever. Right. And I'm not going to do the right. same, that we're going to talk about those kind of issues. Now, not to the nth little detail, but, you know, any of those bigger purchases, mm-hmm. we're definitely going to have conversations about that before one or the other of us just goes out and yeah. does it. Sometimes uh, couples will set a limit and say, you know, we got to talk about it if it's going to be over 50 bucks or a hundred right. bucks or something like that. Yeah, whatever, whatever works for you all. Right. But you've got to, if it's outside of the normal budget item. Right. You know. and, and just keep it, just keep it uh, out in the open. Uh, so we're all on the same page. Yeah. Number six, set expectations together. You know, you got to look at the the big picture. You got to look at the long term, and you got to know what are your expectations for your finances. What are your goals? What are you working towards? And I think that if if couples would get on the same page then you would you would get a lot further down the road. For instance, one couple may say, hey, I have an expectation to purchase a house. And the other couple is not on that page. They're out there spending money. You know, you got to get on the same page. You got to say, okay, we're all, we're both pushing towards X goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very helpful to have financial goals that you're working on together. It helps build, uh, build your relationship and it gives you a something, um, something, um, shared together to, to invest in your relationship. And, and it's, it's the right thing to do. So the last one here, number seven. Yeah. Number seven, don't let the kids run the show. So, <laughs> and that could apply to a lot of things other than not just money, but you know, this is a big problem nowadays. I think now more than ever. Do you, do you think so? Yeah. And I would say, don't let your friends, don't let your kids friends mm. run the show or the, the pressure to keep up with your kids friends. Right. That's a big thing. You know, uh, you're, you're going to have to understand what you're able to do and what you should do and and make sure that you're making those financial decisions as a couple and not being over overly pressured by the expectations of your children, which sometimes can be uh, unreasonable. And so I think that would be something to to definitely remember uh, about. And, and, and in doing that, you can help early on instill in your children a right understanding of finances as well. Yeah, I think I think you need to let your children know that they don't get to have everything that they want. You know, there are sometimes you can spoil them, there's sometimes you can give them something, but you know, that thing that they think that they ha- must have, they're dying to have, you know, if you buy them that in in a couple of weeks, it'll be to this that toy will be to the side or that video game will be played out and they'll want something new. There's always something new that's coming. If you teach kids the value of what it means to wait, to save, to work, 
those those are those are things that will serve them very well in life. Yeah, don't let them be 18, 19, 20, 21 and they've never ever thought about what it means to be to use their finances wisely or to be a steward or a manager. You got to teach them early that they too are stewards, that the things that they have that God gives them that they are to manage well and Start teaching those lessons to them early on so when they grow up and they're older, they can have a right understanding of, of things as well. But if they're running the show uh, as they're younger, then everybody's going to have problems. Right. And so I would encourage you to you drive the train on that as parents mm-hmm. and teach them early on these principles so they can benefit from it themselves. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I, I go back to that verse in Hebrews Chapter 13, where it says, keep your life free from love, from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is telling us, you must be a person of faith. You must trust me. Be content. I'm, I am, I'm with you. I'm helping you. I'm giving you, meeting those needs that you have. And if you stray, if you focus on money over faith, then, then it's going to be a problem for you. It's, yeah. it, you're going to get your priorities all out of whack. Right. Yeah, enough is never, and I mean, how much is enough, right? I mean, we, we get discontented uh, because we get our eyes on other things or other people. Uh, we're trying to keep up with the, whoever the next-door neighbor is, and uh, it, it's, we, that's a trap, and we just have to reject it and find our peace and our satisfaction in our relationship with the Lord and the things that he's given us and just make it our prayer to say, God, help me to use these wisely. And as you wisely use what he's given you, you will have more mm-hmm. because you will see that what he's given you will go further and cover more if you'll use it well and with wisdom f- that comes from him. So if you're in a, in a situation where you haven't talked to your spouse about finances in a while, have a conversation, sit down, go through some of these things that we talked about. What are, what is your budget? What are your goals? All of these types of things because you may learn something and that you didn't know, and you may be able to work these things out and make sure your priorities are aligned in the right way. It won't happen unless you actually sit down and talk about it. That may be a hard conversation at first, because depending on where your finances are, uh, you may be an avoider, and you may not want to talk about that, but it, it, it will help to create a healthy biblical marriage if you would sit down and talk about these things. Yeah, and I just l- let me leave you with this one quote from this article once mm. again. I hear this quote, money is the number one issue married couples fight about, and it's the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. Mm. If there's ever a topic that you as a couple need to talk about and to make sure you understand, it's your finances and your money. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, if you need any uh, biblical counseling, please make sure to email us. Our emails are in the show notes. We provide free biblical counseling for those in the Evans area. And that does include financial counseling as well as a part of that. So we would love to help you out and uh, just let us know if that, if we can be a, a, any service to you in that area. Yeah. Just, just see this as an important topic and it doesn't just have to be a topic in marriage that you fight about. It can be a topic actually where you find a lot of agreement on and some fulfillment in as you get together and to use what God's given you wisely and for his good, for his glory and for your good. That's great. Well, I thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Pastor Allen, for being here today. I appreciate that. Love being here. And uh, that's all we got today. We'll see you next time. <laughs> we got to go back and do it all over again.
Oh my gosh. Uh, that's funny. The red light wasn't on. I'm glad I stopped it now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I thought I pushed record. I must not have I must not have hit it. <coughs> okay, well let's go back and do it again. Good. All right. We're not into it very far. I sounded kind of dumb on a few those things anyway, so that's good. I get a do over. Okay, here we go. It is recording now. I'm I'm watching the ticker go up.